Support for INS Podcasts comes from BD, helping all people live healthy lives. Visit them at www.bd.com. Hi, welcome to another INS Podcast. My name is Michelle. I'm a nurse educator with the Infusion Nurses Society. Today I'm joined by Michael Passwater. He is a speaker with us in Cincinnati at our National Academy. Um, this uh, or November, actually. We're into November now, so... Um, Mike will be speaking on Saturday afternoon about antibody formation in transfusion therapy. Um, And I want to welcome him to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. It was very nice of you to come by. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here in Cincinnati with you all. Awesome. It's the first time I think we've had a meeting here in Cincinnati, so and we're really enjoying it. It's a very nice place. Very nice place. So, Um, Michael, let's find out a little bit about what you do and how you got to where you are. <laughs> uh, well, I am not a nurse. Uh, it's, a, it's a thrill to be here with you all. I have Thank worked you. with a lot of great infusion nurses uh, throughout my blood banking career and laboratory career. Uh, I'm a med- medical technologist. Uh, I got my uh, degree from the University of Delaware, uh, uh, East Carolina University, where I'm based now, uh, also ha- has a program. Uh, uh, we, we generally term ourselves clinical lab scientists now. Uh, I'm certified as a, as a medical medical technologist, a specialist in blood bank, and a diplomat in laboratory management uh, by the American Society of Clinical Pathology. Um, so uh, I know in nursing, uh, you, you guys look at things from the outside in, and we tend to, in pathology, look at things from the inside out. Sure, so, uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, hopefully the talk tomorrow will uh, give a little bit different perspective on, on something that uh, is familiar to both of us. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we know so much about transfusion therapy as, uh, from the nurse side about giving the blood and the blood components and that kind of stuff, and maybe not so much about how we get to that point. Um, how do we know what we're giving is the appropriate one for the patient or that it's it's like the right type or anything like that? And that's more where you you and your guys come in. Uh, that's correct. But over 27 years, I have to say, uh, I think uh, a lot of others feel this way, too. We, we know less and less uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, as we learn more and more. Uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, when to give blood is, is becoming a harder and harder question. Uh, we're finding uh, sometimes that we can recognize conditions earlier that uh, simpler, safer uh, interventions can be more effective and, and avoid the need for transfusion altogether. Um, so there's a lot of research going into to when exactly do we need to give blood and, and how much to give uh, when that time comes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Um, so when we are looking at at giving patient blood, that it's it's appropriate and it's been ordered, what do we need? To, I, the type and the cross match is always what comes <laughs> into my mind first, and it's always like if we give them the wrong type of blood, they're going to have a reaction. But it's bigger than that, too. Is that right? Uh Yes. Um, there, there are eight major blood types. Uh, you have the four different ABO groups, and you're either RH positive or RH negative. A lot of people are familiar with those terms, but there are a few hundred other uh, a few hundred. Uh, minor, yeah, minor uh, uh, red cell antigens uh, that are out there, different, different bumps, receptors, uh, transport proteins on, on the cell membranes, and uh, each of those can have a, a, a confirmation that's, that's different in you than it is in me. So uh, whenever we we transfuse blood, uh, we can be transfusing a lot of, a lot of different proteins that uh, uh, your body might see as different uh, compared to my body. So uh, it's the same immune system that uh, protects us uh, against invading pathogens uh, 
uh, like we're learning about at this great sepsis conference, uh, uh, but that can sometimes turn on us and also try to protect us against invading uh, therapeutics such as uh, your, your red cell or platelet transfusions. Uh, or even medicine sometimes if they can they can stick to cells or larger proteins and then look like a, an, an invader to the immune system as well. Okay, so we don't always necessarily have the antibody that could react to the blood or the products that we're giving. Our body actually can create that. Exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah, generally uh, we come somewhat prepackaged uh, with your, your anti-A's and anti-B's if you lack those antigens, but uh, the minor antigens you generally need to be exposed to, and then you would mount an immune response. Uh, uh, and who mounts, who, who mounts an immune response and when is uh, an area of very active research. Uh, there are some people that we tend to term as responders and non-responders, and what make somebody fall into to one group or the other. Uh, uh, we just don't have all those answers yet, but I, I think over the next decade uh, we're going to learn a lot about that cool. and uh, possibly how to how to predict who is and, and maybe give some, some more targeted uh, treatments to, to prevent them from uh, responding when we don't want them to in the, in the transplant or transfusion setting. Okay, and does that, the, the type of product they're getting to, does that make a difference? Uh, yeah, yes, for, for transfusion, there are the four major categories. You're, you're talking about red cells, platelets, uh, plasma, um, and, and then there are some other different types of plasma. But generally, your plasma products are, are, are not going to, to generate uh, an, an immune response. Uh, you may have anaphylaxis in that setting. There's some volume overload issues that, that, are, that are serious concerns, but uh, alloimmunization is not a concern with the plasma, whereas, whereas platelets, you can develop HLA antibodies or platelet-specific antibodies, uh, and red cells, of course, are the, the major player for alloimmunization. And the RH factor? I know I hear about that a lot. <laughs> How does that play in all this, and, it, or does it? It, it does. Uh, there's the... Uh, the D antigen is the is the major antigen in the RH family. There's uh, a few dozen other RH antigens, uh, uh, but that that there's about 20,000 uh, D antigens <laughs> on on each red cell. Um, so that's one of the more major uh, uh, antigens that will stimulate a response. If you happen to be RH negative and you get RH positive blood, or if you you're uh, housing a baby that's RH positive, and a lot of times there's some blood exchange during pregnancy and delivery, uh, then then you would have a high probability of, of developing an anti-D. Uh, and one of the things we've learned recently is that uh, there's a strong correlation between inflammation and antibody production. Um, and unfortunately, uh, there's great overlap between the uh, uh, population of transfused patients uh, and the population of inflamed patients. So we're often, uh, you know, injecting these uh, uh, red cells into a person that's very inflamed, and, and that will greatly increase the, the chance of autoimmunization. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Uh, it's kind of like the sepsis thing. that exactly. it, it isn't really about the, the infection. It's about how the body responds to it. it exactly. The, it, yeah, it's not just about having more or less of certain white cells, but it's a, it's a soup that surrounds those white cells that helps trigger them as far as whether or not they're going to respond. Uh, you can have some foreign bodies in you, but if you're not inflamed and they're not getting those those signals, they'll just swim right on by mm. like everything's fine. But uh, Whereas if they're hyper-triggered, they might start responding to things that, that we don't want them to respond to. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, autoimmunity is uh, a growing concern uh, pretty much around the world. Uh, yes, and it, I, I guess that was another thing that kind of crossed my mind then, too. Are we seeing new things as a result of all this autoimmune <laughs> stuff? 
probably, uh, but that that's hard to say. You know, we can look a lot closer and a lot more thoroughly. It's it's hard to say what's new or just yeah. new to us. So. Yeah, yeah. There's so much going, and this is, you know, to, to narrow this topic down is a very tough thing. There, there. This is a lot of information. There's a, a lot of interesting stuff with the antibody uh, formation and and whatnot. So, um, I did want to ask you too about your passion. You had written down that you have a passion for safe, effective homeostasis management and a fascination with the complexity of the immune system. Tell us how that came about. Is that like... Yeah, every once in a while, I guess I'm at that mid-career stage where sometimes you, you ask, where, where am I and how did mm-hmm. I get here? And uh, I think there are two factors that uh, kind of jump out at me from my formative years. Uh, I grew up in a beautiful rural county and uh, on the eastern shore of Maryland that uh, did not have a hospital. They, they do now, uh, thanks to, to a lot of great, uh, dedicated, and generous people. Uh, but back then, there was no hospital. Both of my parents and my, my older brother were first responders. Uh, my dad was a volunteer fire chief for, for quite a number of years as well. Uh, and uh, being in Maryland, uh, we had uh, Dr. Crowley at the University of Maryland, uh, you know, promoting the golden hour principles. Uh, so, so I grew up with a very strong bias that anything you could do to, to bring the advanced care of the hospital and the critical needs of the patient together sooner was a good thing. Um, and then during, during those years uh, as well was about when the medical community was starting to, to recognize this horrible thing called, called AIDS and the connection to the HIV virus. And uh, uh, so in, in the popular literature, I, uh, you know, news magazines of the week, I was, I was reading about T cells and B cells and uh, just became fascinated with the cat and mouse chess match between uh, uh, invading pathogens in our immune system. Uh, uh, so I think those two things together um, uh, have a lot to do with why now, you know, I'm in, in blood banking, which has a lot to do with emergency care and also a lot to do with, with the immune system. Uh, um, you know, I'm technically uh, in my field, they would call me an immunohematologist, which is uh, just a, a fancy word for uh, hematology and immunology geek. Um, <laughs> so, uh, oh, I was going to ask you, too, about the, um, the drug-dependent antibodies. What exactly are we saying there? Well, just as uh, if, if you get a foreign red cell, you can mount an immune response to that. Uh, uh, a lot of times uh, uh, drugs will do the same thing. Uh, usually drugs are too small to do that in and of themselves, but sometimes they will, they will bind to a larger protein or even to a red cell or platelet, something that's really big within the body, uh, and then that will look like a, a foreign invader to your immune system, and you, and you could make, a, make an antibody to that. And uh, they can get a little tricky. Um, and there's a there's one of the slides uh, that that uh, illustrates that. It's a, it's a hard thing to explain, but sometimes the antibody will be directed uh, purely to the drug, so that if you stop taking the drug, you're you're good to go and you won't have any issues with it. Uh, but a lot of times, the 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 antibody is made to a, to an epitope that. Uh, is shared by both the, the red cell membrane and the drug. Uh, so even if you stop taking the drug, you may still have some residual autoimmunity, um, you know, and get into the, the uh, acute hemolytic autoanemias and, and things of that nature. Uh, so even though you've stopped taking the drug, you still have some, some pathology that, that lingers on. Um, so that's... Uh, always a concern whenever we introduce new drugs and uh, there's that balance between uh, uh, destroying the uh, whatever's causing the disease and uh, trying to minimize the um, the damage to the healthy tissue as well so it's kind of uh, not a 
blood reaction kind of transfusion thing. It's a trans. It's it's like the medicine is causing the same kind of reaction that we would see. Exactly, and and the, the red cell just gets caught in the crossfire uh, sometimes. Okay. Okay. Quite interesting. And so um, we did the type in the cross, and we talked about the blood components that the platelets are more than like, or platelets do not cause so many well, reactions, or they plasma. can. Plasma yeah. doesn't. Right, yeah. Your platelets, you get, you get platelet-specific antibodies. Uh, uh, HLA antibodies uh, HLA. often arise uh, from those. Uh, yeah, HLA an antigens are shared on, on platelets. They're primarily on, on white blood cells, but they're also... also uh, uh, class one uh, HLA antibodies are expressed on platelets as well. Um, so yeah, that can be an issue. Anybody in in cancer care is familiar with refractory uh, uh, platelets, and there's a variety of things that can cause that. But one, some of them are immune uh, uh, issues where people have developed uh, HLA or platelet-specific antibodies. So, is there something that can be done before the platelets are given then to to help maybe decrease that chances that they're going to react to that or? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, no, no perfect uh, solution at, at this time. Uh, uh, sometimes, if we know somebody's going to be transfused a lot, and, and the same with red cells, uh, uh, we can give them more extensive matching instead of just caring about the ABO. We can give them a, a fuller phenotype match, and, and that may, uh, uh, you know, it just makes it less foreign. So there's less likely that you're you're going to get alloimmunized. Uh, we, we do generally, I know at the facility where I work, all of our platelets and red cells are, are leukoreduced, which means uh, three or four logs of the white cells have been taken out. Uh, and that that, uh, that both helps make the product you're infusing less inflammatory. There are not as many cytokines building up in the bags during storage. Uh, and it also uh, you know reduces the burden of uh, foreign HLA antigens that are going to be, be uh, in, going into the recipient. Okay. Uh, on the allergic front, uh, we have been able to remove more of the plasma, uh, so we're not transfusing quite as much plasma along with the platelets. We have additive solutions and things that will, will help with that, so that seems to be effective. At, uh, it doesn't eliminate, but it does uh, decrease the incidence of, of allergic reactions during, during the platelet transfusions. And irradiated platelets? Uh, you laughed at that. <laughs> yeah, uh, radiation is, is done to prevent uh, transfusion-associated graft-versus-host disease, um, which can be a problem in the extreme immunocompromised, uh, your, your bone marrow transplant patients. Um, it, it doesn't do anything to help uh, with uh, alloimmunization, okay. but it will uh, basically sterilize the white cells so they can't sterilize is a bad bad term there but uh, so they can't replicate it uh, uh, you know so they're not going to be able to multiply and, and, and attack the, the recipient um, uh, with with a new new generation of pathogen reduced products that are coming out uh, we won't need to irradiate those because they have uh, they get exposed to ultraviolet light and uh, some special compounds that will scramble the any RNA or DNA in there which will uh, wipe out any bug that's in there and we'll finally get to a point where we can say blood is uh, sterile or near near sterile right now we just rely on the, the healthy condition of the donor uh, and they will also uh, uh, you know, neutralize those those white cells so you won't have to worry about uh, transfusion associated graft versus host disease either and we've come a really long way from the the quill pin and the dog <laughs> transfusion blood thing so yeah you don't need to get a note from the pope yeah. to, to transfuse anymore <laughs> uh, and hopefully in another decade uh, it'll either be even be a, a cleaner uh, more effective process yeah. now we are also having another session that that is called the walking blood bank 
And I find it absolutely fascinating, and it has to do with uh, military background, where mm -hmm. they actually pre-screen certain individuals that if they would need blood in an instant because they don't have any way to store it or to keep it fresh for the period of time it needs to be, that you can call these people in for a donation um, on site, more or less. Yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating uh, uh, concept and, and something that has been done before in the past. Uh, they, they used to use nurses as, as walking donors in NICU and things like that that then... Uh, because I guess the screening wasn't quite thorough enough and there became disease issues. Uh, you know, if one of those nurses had hepatitis, uh, you know, you might end up with an entire neonatal intensive care. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and for some of those reasons, they, they backed away from that. But now with more comprehensive screening in a military setting, um, um, you know, as we're learning more and more about the, the importance of, of getting uh, all the, the blood components into and people that have been severely injured sooner rather than later, mm -hmm. uh, I can see that having uh, having some great impact. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very forward to your um, session tomorrow. Look forward to it as well. Great. Thank you again. I'm going to shake your hand. Thank you. <laughs> and that will be it for today's podcast. We will um, be back. Thanks.